Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we continue with the honest questions people ask. And in this week, Pastor Tim brings us a message where Jesus is asked, how many times should I forgive? As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Uh, If I haven't met you yet and you're new with us, uh, my name is Tim. I uh, have the privilege of serving you all as one of your pastors, and um, and it's exciting. It's uh, we are at the end of summer, which means we are at uh, my favorite season is about to launch. Uh, we're heading into fall and all the things that fall brings. Um, and uh, and as the kids make the way out, let's have a word. Let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, we um, uh, we thank you for this this beautiful day. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather as your church and to study um, what can be a really uncomfortable passage. But Lord, uh, we trust that. Uh, in your hands, we are safe. And so, Lord, would you help us to see what you need us to see? And then, Lord, as uh, school has started again, Lord, we pray for every student uh, from the littlest ones who are going to preschool all the way to uh, college students who are off to college and grad school. Uh, Lord, we pray for every student. Uh, Lord, would you um, help them to learn the things they need to learn? But more than that, Lord, would they exhibit your character in their school setting? And then, Lord, we pray for every teacher and administrator and staff and principal and superintendent. And, Lord, we pray for all those who are partnering with us and shaping up a generation. And, Lord, we ask that um, you would bless them. Uh, The nights that are tired, Lord, you would give them strength for another day. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh, the new temptations, that every generation there's new temptations. Lord, the new temptations that face uh, our, our kids' generation, Lord, we pray that you would protect students from um, the... Uh, the many trappings of social media and addiction and vaping and all of those things that are, are right now facing our students. Lord, would you protect them? And would you rise, raise up a generation of Christian young people who, um, who are punk in a good way? Uh, Lord, would they stand up against those things? And then, Lord, as we, uh, as we head into a sermon, would you open our eyes and hearts and ears to hear? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. And everybody said... Amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 18. Um, uh, If you're new with us, uh, we've been working through the life of Jesus as told by his least likely disciple, a guy by the name of Matthew, a tax collector, the outcasts of that culture. Uh, And um, in in church, so uh, those of you who've been here for a while, you got to back me up on this one. Um, We did plan this out a year ago, right? We talked about this. uh, And then we started in December, and I told you in December when we launched into the series that, hey, we've kind of plotted out what we're going to teach on next, and, um, and we're kind of just working through that. And I warned you back then that there are some subjects that when we approach them in the scriptures, there's going to be things that are happening in our culture. And if you didn't know better, you would think that I'm at, like, I've got some uh, agenda that I'm like just picking a passage to teach, right? I warned you about this. Can you back me up, church? For those who are new, like, right? We talked about this. Okay, I say all that because this morning the subject we're going to look at is all about debt forgiveness. <laughs> I know, I know, I did not plan this. Uh, I wasn't planning on talking, talking about college debt, and I'm still not planning on talking about that. Uh, there are some subjects I don't really have a strong opinion on that. I don't have a strong opinion. Um, 
And by the way, it's okay not to have a strong opinion on all the subjects, right? I have some strong opinions. Um, but every once in a while, there's a subject that's just, it's, it's almost like too random to be random, too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence. So uh, I have no hidden agenda. We're not going to talk about college debt and what to do with that. But if, if the Holy Spirit says something to you and opens your eyes to it, I've not actually thought into that too deeply uh, through this lens of this passage. But if something happens, uh, I would be curious kind of what you see in this, and let's have a conversation uh, I don't want to just say, well, that, like, let's not deal with that, because who knows? Who knows? Um, but I'm not trying to this morning. That said, uh, we've been working through Matthew, and uh, we've been trying to pay attention to the various movements in Matthew. <laughs> Matthew, um, so as we go chapter by chapter, there's also these like, large chunks of movements where you see like, the whole kind of tension inside the, the, this section will change and will shift. And, uh, and we're calling this one Honest Questions People Ask. Because this section seems to be a section of scriptures that are all driven by questions. Some of the questions are asked at Jesus, like people are trying to trap him, tempt him. Um, some of, sometimes these are questions that are really honest questions that are asked of Jesus because people are trying to figure out, like, what do we do with this? And then every once in a while, Jesus will, will respond back to the question with a question. Uh, and uh, in his doing so, is trying to get us to open up to the most uncomfortable stuff. Stuff we don't love to look at. Uh, stuff about life and suffering, and laments, and uh, learning how to live on purpose with meaning. Uh, this morning, um, uh, we're going to think about forgiveness. Um, forgiveness. What do we do with forgiveness? How do we deal with this? Um, now, last week, again, just for recap, I introduced you to a strategy, uh, a way of reading the Bible that I think is more honest. Um, there is a way to read the Bible that we just read the Bible looking for it to reinforce what we already believe or think or know. No. Um, there's a way to read the Bible through, through the lens of, okay, what is this telling me so that I can have the next verse when somebody asks me a question and I can kind of nail them, I got a new verse. There is a way to read the Bible that way, um, but I think it lacks integrity and I think it lacks honesty. There is another way to read the scriptures where you are, you, you're coming in empty. Like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act as though, even if I've heard this passage my whole life, I'm going to try to come into the passage and, and ask the appropriate questions to see, is there anything in here that I've assumed about this passage that I may be wrong on in the passage? Uh, what we said last week is that, um, the, the, the gist of what we tried to communicate, is that most passages have an elephant in the room type problem in them. And if you can identify the elephant in the room problem. If you, the, the thing that you have to read it slow, you have to ask the question, what is the problem here that nobody in the passage seems to, to notice is a problem, but as you read it and ask honest questions, this is a problem. We got we to gotta ask the questions about this problem. It doesn't make any sense. If you can find that elephant and you are courageous enough to ask the question about that particular elephant, what I believe you discover often is that what seems to be a problem, if you just do some work and ask the right questions, actually becomes a solution to understanding uh, a far deeper truth that is, is inside of this that's trying to come out at us. Often it takes the, what we know to be true, the, the cliche understanding of truth, and it drives it into a level of depth that actually opens us up to hear it again. And so uh, last week I introduced you to a game, a rousing game that I like to call Find the Elephant. And if you're with us, we did like four of them last week. We just got one this week. But uh, uh, I want to pick it up again, and I want to eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus is having with a crowd, and then later with just a, a man named Peter, who's one of his disciples. I want to eavesdrop in on this conversation, and I want to try to approach it with fresh eyes, and let's see if we can find the elephant 
in the passage. So I'm going to take you right to the elephant, and then we'll back up. But let's, here's, see if you can find this elephant. So round two, week two of find the elephant. Here we go. By the way, did you play at home? Anybody play the game at home? Did you try this? It's fun. It's fun. Okay, find the elephant. Then Peter came to Jesus and, said, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Okay, find the elephant. At first glance, it seems like a straightforward enough question, right? Peter's question seems like an honest question. Um, we've all find our, found ourselves asking this question from time to time, right? Like, how many times should I forgive them when somebody's hurt me, when somebody's wronged me, when somebody's sinned against me? How many times should I forgive them? Up to seven times. Is that, is that, is that enough? Up to seven times. That's his question. Fair question. Jesus' answer also seems pretty straightforward. Jesus says, you should forgive them not seven times, but 77 times. Um, or you, if your Bible has a little footnote, it's actually a really weird thing Jesus says. It's hard to translate. And so you'll see in a, if you have a paper Bible or an app, there's often a footnote and it'll say, you could also translate this 70 times seven. So if you do the math, 490 times. So, so Jesus seems to be very straightforward. Should we forgive up to seven times? Jesus says, nope. I want you to forgive uh, up to 77 times or maybe even up to 490 times. It seems at a surface reading of this passage that what Jesus is saying is that you should be really forgiving. Right? That feels like what's going on here at a surface read. But I want to suggest to you that there is a problem. Uh, there's a problem with the question Peter asks and there's an even bigger problem with the way Jesus answers the question. There's an elephant in Peter's question. You see the elephant in his question. Specifically, why does Peter say, do we forgive up to seven times? Why does he throw out a number? That's an, that's an elephant kind of problem. Like, what do we do with that? Why throw out a number? Why a specific number? And an even bigger elephant in the way Jesus answers. Jesus says, okay, here's your elephant. Forgive them 77 times, or maybe you could translate this 490 times. Now, again, that feels like a huge number. It feels huge. Like you read this, and you're like, that's a big Jesus thing, being really forgiving. Until you find yourself in any kind of significant relationship. And then you realize 490 is not that big of a number, right? It's not that big of a number. It, and you could even say, it actually doesn't really even feel like Jesus is giving all that great of advice. So anytime you're like, okay, that seems like bad advice, Jesus, you found your elephant. Right? Like, uh, let's just, just play it out with me. Um, let's imagine uh, I marry my wonderful wife, Liza, and she, she like, decides when we get married, she's going to keep score. And she's got, you know, she's got her clipboard out. And every time I do something, I say something hurtful, she just makes a check. Every time I, uh, I raise my voice or use silence to, like, punish she makes a check. Every time I say I'm going to do something that I don't do, she makes a check. So she's just kind of keeping a rally, like a score. And she's got her clipboard, and she's just making checks. And she's forgiving when I do those, but she's keeping a check. And let's imagine it's, a, it's like a random uh, Tuesday in September, and she comes up to me, and she says, hey, you said you were going to empty the dishwasher. You didn't. And, uh, and I say, I come back with my excuse, you know, because I'm like, I, I was watching Hard Knocks. I'm sorry. I got lost in parental advisory <laughs> warning, some language in that show, but they're going to be good this year. Um, I'm a bit concerned that Dan Campbell right now is our biggest star, I'll be honest, uh, from the coaches. Anyway, so imagine I'm like keeping track and I got my, or she's got her checkboard, or her 
her uh, clipboard and she's keeping score. And then she says, you know, not a big deal, not a big deal. You forgot to empty the dishwasher, not a big deal. But then she looks down and she's, hang on a second. That is number 491. <laughs> so we had a good, like this has been a good time. We, had, we, we made a good run for it. But I'm sorry, I can't stay with you any longer. It's 491. Now you would hear that and you would say, Okay, come on, Liza. That seems really small. That seems really petty. Like that, like to, like that seems like a not, that's not a great reason to kind of say the marriage is over. Um, but she could then say, well, I'm just doing what Jesus said to do. And here's the problem. She would be right. To which point you would say, well, maybe Jesus was wrong. <gasps> you found your elephant. Anytime that happens and you're like, okay, I... Like, you found your elephant because Jesus here says, go up to 490. Like, you just located your elephant in the passage. Why does Peter throw out a number? Why does Jesus throw out an even larger number? Um, what is, what is, and an oddly specific number. We found our elephant. So either Jesus is wrong or there's more going on in the passage that like, is asking us to keep going. Don't just read this at the surface level. Don't just throw this verse out at people just to prove your point. Keep going. Okay, now, if we're going to keep going, we could back up and try to figure out what is prompting Peter to ask this question in the first place. Because we dropped, we eavesdropped in the middle of a conversation, but there's something that's going on that's kind of causing Peter to ask this question. Here's the, the, the conversation that prompts it. Verse 15. If, Jesus, Jesus talking, if your brother or, sin, brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You notice it's quoted. It's an Old Testament quote. If they, refuse, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's a rabbinical talk there. Another, another sermon. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there, I, there am I with them. Okay. By the way, I want you to... If, if, We've been going slowly enough through this. Have you noticed now that the Sermon on the Mount is like the greatest hits, and Jesus will keep coming back to those same... like. Like those same points he makes. This, this is a classic example. A lot of these lines are, are from the Sermon on the Mount. Anyway, um, so this seems to be the context. Uh, he says, okay, there's a whole process for how, uh, when he asks how many times should I forgive, there's a whole process. Uh, what Jesus is referring to is when somebody in the church sins against you. He's not talking about your neighbor who doesn't believe in, in Jesus. He's not talking about your family member. Who, this is for somebody in the church that you've committed your life to trying to follow the way of Jesus together. When they sin against you, here's how you navigate the tension. And he lays out, um, it's kind of the classic church strategy for how to deal with tension. When done right, leads to all kinds of really helpful ways to deal with tension. When done wrong, I've seen churches that will, you know, so the, 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 the passage says, first go to them, just you, just you. Uh, then I want you to go to them with somebody you love, that you both love, go to them, and the two of you try to help them see. And then if that doesn't work, go to them with your church, which in Jesus' world was a small, it wasn't an institution. It wasn't this. If we all showed up at someone's house and said, you sinned, that's probably not what Jesus is referring to. It's a small group of people who love each other, have committed to each other, and they go together to say, hey, what you've done is hurting some things. 
when, that, when, when we do what Jesus says to do, it tends to actually bring all kinds of restoration and reconciliation. I have seen churches that um, will take a passage like this and will say, well, we, you know, we went to them, then we sent an elder. They didn't know this elder, but we sent the elder to their house um, because they were voted in and they're an elder. And then we brought them up on the stage and we said, hey, everyone in the church, we're going to publicly shun them. It's not what Jesus is referring to. That, that is quite toxic. Okay, so that's quite toxic. But when we do what Jesus is saying in the appropriate way, it, it seems like this is, what, this is a process that can actually lead to some reconciliation. And now you've got Peter's question. Because Peter's question is, okay, how many times should we do that? How many times should we run the loop? Should I go to them, then I bring somebody with them, and then I bring my church, the other disciples, and we go to them. And then we go again. How many times? Should I go, again, here's the elephant, up to seven? Oddly specific number. Oddly spe- Why does he throw out this number? Now, in order to understand that, we have to understand what Peter is referencing here. We have to understand, we got to know the, the, the game that Peter is playing, okay? It's possible to treat Peter like he's just some, some dippy kid making dippy kid statements, right? Like he's just, like we, we, can, we can disrespect Peter a lot by thinking Peter's just a, like this, this kind of, um, I don't know, not so bright guy who just says whatever he's thinking. And, and I got a lot of compassion for guys like that. But, but I think, I'm one of them. Um, but I think Peter here, we, we, can, we can dismiss Peter, but I think Peter here is engaging in a very sophisticated biblical knowledge that he knows Jesus is going to pick up on. Now, here's, here's the thing. Peter's question, if you say, how many times do we run the loop? How many times do we forgive? There was an agreed upon answer in the world of Jesus. Religious people, with almost out exception, had an agreed upon answer for how many times do you forgive people when they wrong you? And the answer at the time of Jesus was three. Forgive them three times. Why three? Where did they come up with this number? Uh, Again, almost every religious person would respond with three. Why three? The answer they point to, uh, the rabbis taught, was there are two passages in your Bible. Both of them refer to uh, forgiveness. Both of them refer to how God forgives. And both of them refer to forgiving three times. The first one comes out of the Old Testament prophet Amos in chapters 1 and 2. I'll let you read it on your own. But uh, it records a rather lengthy speech by God himself. Essentially, the nature of the speech is God is talking about, like, what do we do? How do we forgive places like Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and Moab? Essentially, all the bad guys that surround Israel at the time. Uh, And God says to each of those, he says, here's what we'll do. I forgive them three times, but not four. Um, for instance, a quote, uh, Amos 2.4 says, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. Okay, so God says, I'm going to forgive three times, but not four times. Now, the rabbis noticed, okay, that's how we should treat nations. Like, okay, that makes sense at a global geopolitical thing, right? Like if, if Russia does something three times, but like, we'll, we'll like extend grace, but not four. Okay, that's global geopolitical. But what happens when it's an individual? What do we do with an individual who does something against us? Well, the rabbi said, God's consistent. God is consistent. When it comes to an individual, the number is still three. And they pointed to a passage in Job, uh, chapter 33, verses 29 and 30. We read this. God does all these things to a person twice, even three times, to turn them back from the pit, that the light of life may shine on them. So here was the dominant logic. It's always interesting how we 
Um, like interpreting the Bible to justify things is, is like as old as time, right? Um, but here's the dominant logic. Okay, if God forgives three times but not four, who are we to outforgive God? Right? That, that was logic. Who are we to outforgive God? If God says, I'm going to forgive three times but not four, well, why? Who are we? Heaven forbid we should extend grace, more grace than God would extend grace. That's how they interpreted these passages. So now Peter comes on the scene and he goes up to Jesus and he says, how many times should I forgive? Up to seven times. He's already disagreeing with his culture on this. So what's Peter, what's Peter doing here? Why the number seven? Now there's a couple of theories. One of the theories is Jesus, if you, if you read Luke, um, Jesus has said in one passage in Luke that um, we should forgive seven times. So some people think he's just quoting Jesus back to Jesus. Maybe. Um, other people think, well, what, what Peter's doing here is he maybe is taking three, doubling it, and then adding one because Jesus has spoken a lot about forgiveness. He's talked about how forgiveness is more important than offering your, like, your sacrifices at the temple. He's talked about in the Lord's Prayer that if you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. Like He's talked about forgiveness a lot. So some people think what, what Peter's doing here is he's just up in the ante and saying, Jesus, I've been listening. I know forgiveness is a big deal. We got to forgive a lot. I think what Peter's doing here is far more sophisticated. I think what Peter is doing here is he is reaching to, and the rabbis taught on this, there was an example of forgiveness in the Bible that was so extreme, his Bible, our Old Testament, it was so extreme that it was viewed by the rabbis as the most extreme example of forgiveness in the entire Bible. That story is the story of Jacob and Esau. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau, Old Testament story, um, the rabbis will point to seven major sins that, J- that Jacob commits against his twin brother Esau. He lies, he deceives, he steals his birthright. Seven major sins. But then there's a moment. Uh, Jacob actually has to go on the run because Esau wants to kill him because he's like, seven times betrayed him, betrayed him, betrayed him, betrayed him, betrayed him. So Jacob goes on the run about 20 years. Uh, after about 20 years, tragic what this twin brother does to his twin brother. But after 20 years, they're going to meet each other again. And uh, let's pick up the story there. Genesis 33, we read this. Jacob himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Um, the rabbis taught that Jacob bows once for each time, each major sin he's committed against Esau. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Uh, the key word there is the word but. He bows seven times. And then it says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob. So, but he, he, he does it even when he doesn't have to do it. And this story, this story is often seen as the, the story, the greatest act of forgiveness in the Bible, seven times, the worst offense, and he still forgives. And so it seems what Peter is saying here, potentially, is Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Do I have to forgive like Esau, like, like Esau forgave Jacob? Is that how far I have to go? Now here's where it gets brilliant. Jesus responds. It's like he understands the game Peter's playing. And so Jesus responds by joining the game. He says, okay, not seven, but 77. That's a weird way to say it. You could tra- translate that 70 times seven. So why is Jesus just throwing out, is, is Jesus just throwing out a randomly large number? What do we do with this? Again, we said, this is a weird elephant. What do we do with it? Um, it's a weird elephant unless the number isn't the point. The point is something else. 
I want to argue with you, and I lean on scholars far broader than myself, that what, Peter, what Jesus is doing here is he's taking Peter even deeper into the biblical story. Um, let me pause here. Uh, this last week, I was uh, hanging out in the back of one of our church offices with a group of the other pastors from Harbor, and we were having a debate. I don't know what you guys debate when you hang out in the back office, but we were debating, is this story one of Jesus, like the most brilliant teaching Jesus does? Like the whole thing. We're going to get to the end. But is, is this the most brilliant teaching Jesus does? And after uh, debating it and kind of throwing out our other stories that we think might be more brilliant than this story, we at least agree that this is top 15 most brilliant stories of Jesus. Brilliant, brilliant story. Jesus seems to be understanding, okay, here's what's... You're going to throw seven. You're going to take it into the story and find a story of Esau. I'll take you deeper into the story. That phrase, Jesus says, 70 70 times or 70 times seven, weird phrase. Did you know that exact phrase, the same weird phrase, shows up in exactly one other place in your Bible? And it's a bizarre story. A few little lines. Uh, Back in Genesis chapter four, let me read you the story. Uh, The passage is about a man named Lamech. Uh, Lamech is the great, great, great grandson of a guy by the name of Cain. Cain may be more familiar to you. Cain is the guy that kills his brother Abel. Remember that story? Um, Anyway, horrible story. Kills his brother Abel. Now, I want you to notice how Lamech, the great, great, great grandson of Cain, how he sees the world. Uh, Genesis 4, verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, um, but, okay, yeah, weird Bible nerd note here. Um, because we have the time. Here's a nerd note. Uh, This, by the way, is the first reference in your Bible to uh, somebody having more than one wife, and the rabbis have a field day with this one, Um, because polygamy will become the norm, but they will use this passage as a way of saying, polygamy is not the heart of God. Look at Lamech. His heart is not bent towards God. His heart is bent away from God. He's where the whole thing gets off track. Anyway, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times, or you could translate that 70 times seven times. Now that word of avenge here, um, which we don't really use anymore. The word avenge means to inflict harm in return for an injury or a wrong done to you. So Lamech says, you think Cain was wrong. You think Cain had a bad outlook on the world. You think he was going to take matters into his own hands. I'll go even further. If he was avenged seven times, I'll go 70 times or 77 times, 70 times seven. I'll stop at no, at no cost. I will, I, I, there will be payback. This is how the world worked in their world. You wrong me, I'll get you back. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back. You think Cain had a bad taste in his mouth towards the world. Wait till you meet Lamech. I'll get them. Now, what's the opposite of payback? Forgiveness. So it seems like what Jesus says to Peter here is, Peter, I want you to be just as zealous to forgive as Lamech was to get a vengeance, to get revenge. Be just as passionate to forgive as Lamech was to get revenge. Isn't that cool? I find that cool. Okay, anybody else? I find that cool. Um, Now, by by the way, you see that whole thing was just there. It's just right there looking at us saying, I'm an elephant, look at me. It's right there. Just got to ask a few questions. Now, um, 
Okay, let's go a little bit further. Uh, maybe you read this and you think, okay, I get, I get the point. I understand the elephant. I understand what Jesus is saying. But it does seem unfair, right? It just does seem unfair. It seems like Jesus is asking too much. He's asking too much. He's going too far. Um, a, a part of us look at what Jesus is saying here, and it's, it's like, okay, Jesus tells us, like, but don't play the scorecard game. But we like playing the scorecard game. This is the world we live in. We our world is the world that created the unfollow button, right? Our world is the world that created canceling as like a dominant cultural expression. This is our world. Um, but forgiveness is hard. It is hard. It is hard. You know this, and Jesus knows this. Um, which is why I think Jesus is going, the reason this is such a brilliant teaching, Jesus is going to tell a story. Because what if there's a way to see forgiveness that maybe makes forgiveness a little easier to do? What if there's a perception or a perspective that you could give to somebody when they're struggling with, how do I forgive them? Do you know what they did? What if there's a perspective that makes forgiveness just a little bit like, okay, I can, I can see how that's important. Jesus is going to tell a story. Here's the story. Let's read it together. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought in. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now let's pause here. So um, we have a story of a king and apparently some kind of like a bookkeeper or accountant of some sort. Um, and the king wants to settle his accounts. He wants to figure out who owes him what. And what we read here is that we've got a servant who owes him 10,000, our translation says 10,000 bags of gold. Now, uh, in the original Greek, um, the ten, what's translated 10,000 bags of gold reads 10,000 talents. You've heard of the parable of the talents? Uh, 10,000 talents. Um, thankfully, the NIV translates it bags of gold because it's trying to help us see the elephant. But we're going to uninterpret bags of gold and put it back into talents because I think uh, sometimes... It's more fun this way. So we're going to go. We're going with talents. Uh, so 10,000 talents. Now, um, if you're like me, anytime you come across any number of like any kind of money that you don't understand in the Bible, it's easy to just interpret it as dollars. Right. So this guy owes this other guy. And I read the story and think he owes the king ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars is a lot of money. Right. It's a, it's a lot of money. Ten thousand dollars. The problem, though, is if we interpret it as dollars, talent to dollars, we fall way short of what a talent is. We miss the punch of the parable. If you just translate it dollars, way short. We don't even come close. Now to understand talent, I gotta take you into money a little bit. There's two dominant kinds of money in the Roman culture that were used in the time of Jesus, two kinds of coins. The first was known as a denarius. Who wants to say denarius? It's just a fun word, yeah. You can name your child denarius. It'd be a good name. I, very Roman name. Uh, denarius. Denarius is the equivalent of one day's work for a day laborer. So you work a hard day, you put in the hours, show up early, finish the day off, and on your way out, you would get a denarius. It was a silver coin, a denarius. A denarius is one day's pay. It was seen as a fair and acceptable wage for somebody who works all day long. So denarius, one day's pay. Now, a talent, second kind of money, a talent is worth roughly, if you're taking notes, 6,000 denarii, 6,000. So one talent is equal to 6,000 days work. 
Doing the math in your head? So, so uh, this servant owes 10,000 talents. One talent equals 6,000 days worth. I'm not great at math, um, so I have to like pull out my TI-34 calculator. <laughs> Remember having to buy that in high school, those of you who are my age? Like $100 for a calculator. No, I don't want that. Um, a lot of money. Now you got it all on your phone. Um, by the way, that's, <clears throat> if you're a kid, that's the way you get a phone. Just be like, Mom, it's a TI-34. Uh, TI-34 calculator, a lot of money. Pull it out. Uh, somewhere around 60 million days worth of work. That's what this guy owes him. 60 million days worth of work. Now, again, maybe this is just my brain here. Um, my brain doesn't think in terms of millions. I lived off 10-cent can deposit money for like a decade. So I, my brain doesn't think in terms of millions. So uh, to make the number a little more manageable for me at least, let's take that number and see how many yearly salaries or like year, years it's going to take for him to work it off. So you're going to take 60 million and divide it by 365 for how many days we have, and we'll come up with a yearly salary. This guy owes the king somewhere around, if we do the math, crank the numbers, crank Remember the Casio watches on your, those were sweet. Um, this king, I'm having an ADD day. Uh, this guy owes the king somewhere around 164,383 and a half yearly salaries. In other words, there is no way this guy can pay back the king. There's no way he could ever, in 165,000 years, and that's not taking any money for himself. That's just working all day, giving it to the king. Working all day, giving it. There's no way this guy can repay what he owes. No way. It is impossible. And that's the point. It's impossible. The number is just too astronomical. It doesn't even make sense. The number doesn't even make sense. It would have been a moment to Peter, right? It would have been a, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a big number. Ten, so we translate it bags of gold. It's a huge number. And so the king says, here's what you deserve. You can't pay back this debt. We're going to take you, your family, your extended family, all of you. What you deserve is to be sold into slavery, working to pay it off. Now notice how the guy responds. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, is there any way he can repay back this debt? No. Is it an empty promise? 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. But it is the kind of promise that you make when you find yourself backed into a corner. Like, just give me some time. I'll pay it off. I'll pay it off. I'll pay it off. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, why does the master cancel the debt? Is it because he thinks that there's some way this guy is going to keep his promise? No. no. There's no way. There's no way this guy could ever repay back the debt. Why does he, why does he let him off? Because... He takes pity on him. Another way to translate pity is the word compassion. He has compassion on him. So then the question, what happens to the debt? Who takes on the debt? The king. It's like the king decides, you know what? I'm going to put away the debt sheet. I'm going to put it away, and I'll take care of the debt. I'll take care of it. It, What you owe me, I'll take care of it. We'll we'll have to function differently. We're going to even the score. I'll take care of it. Let's continue the story. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Again, our NIV translation is trying to help us. It's trying to help us see the difference between gold and silver. And so it's it's translating away the word talent and it's translating away the word denarius. Um, But for our sake, we're going to bring them back in because what he's saying here is the phrase silver coins literally reads a hundred denarii. 
Now again, let's test our memories. How many days worth is a denarii worth? One. Okay, so we got one day's worth. Turns out this servant uh, has his own servants, and his own servants also owe him. Again, you see how you got to put the numbers in. Otherwise, like 10,000 versus 100, and it feels like, okay, one's big and the other's smaller. But this one, this, this guy owes 100 silver coins or 100 denarii. Uh, that is equivalent to 100 days' work. Now, is that a lot of money? It would be to me. Uh, 100 days' work. It's a lot of money. If the average income in our neighbor, in, on the, this region is, I, I didn't look it up, but let's just say it's $75,000 for a family, okay? So um, that's the average income. Let's, I don't know if it is, but let's just go with it. Uh, 75000 that would be equivalent to about $20,000. It's a lot of money. $20,000 is a lot of money. Now, is $20,000 repayable? Yeah, it's a lot of money, but you can pay it back. You could work that off. Um, it's a little over three months' wages. You can pay that back. Okay, let's keep reading. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. Now, does this please sound familiar? It's exactly what this servant had said to his king that his king took compassion, took pity on him for. Now, uh, uh, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. Again, is this possible? Can he pay it back? Is this guy making an empty promise? Not necessarily. He can pay that back. You can pay this back. It's entirely possible. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Why did he cancel the debt? Because he promised he'd pay it back? Because he could pay it back? Because you begged me. I had compassion on you. I took pity on you. You begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Which would be when? Never. Uh, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Should we end the sermon there? (laughs) So it's like a, like a punch to the stomach, Jesus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, it's got kind of a punch to the stomach ending, and I think that's intentional. It's like Jesus is trying to get Peter's like, attention here. Like, this is the ending if you do your game. Okay, now let's recap what we just read, and then uh, let's see if we can make some sense of it. So we got a guy, parable of a guy. He's a king. He's got like a clipboard of some sort, and he's keeping track. He's got a bookkeeper. He's keeping track of all the things people owe him. Uh, he discovers he's got a guy in his... Uh, in his kingdom, a servant in his kingdom who owes him 10,000 talents, amount of money that he can never repay. But because he brings the guy in, the guy begs, please have compassion on me. I, I can't pay this off, uh, but I promise you I will. But please don't, please don't sell me my, my family into slavery. And the king says, I have compassion on you. I take pity on you. It's okay. I'll assume your debt. Go free. You're free. He then goes and he finds his own servant and this guy owes him a hundred days work. Uh, this guy owes him about three months wages and he says, you give me my money back. The guy, he begs the same way and the servant says, I'm sorry, it's not my fault. You owe the debt, pay me back the debt. And then we find that the king says, okay, well, that, if that's the game you want to play, if you want me to play by the books, we'll play by the books. It seems like Jesus' point is that the people who insist on playing by the books, the king will play by the books. That's how you want to play. Well, the king will play by the books. Now, you see the 
the elephant in Peter's question, right? Here's the elephant. How many times do I gotta forgive him? Seven times? Up to seven times? Peter wants to play by the books, right? That's the problem. Peter's saying, what if they, I'll, I'll keep a track. Like, and what does Jesus need Peter to see? Peter, like you're still counting. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. But forgiveness is hard. I agree. I think Jesus agrees, um, which is why Jesus invites us into a perspective to how to see forgiveness. If we look at forgiveness, not in terms of what they deserve, but in terms of what we deserve. And maybe if we look at it in terms of what we deserve, we can have compassion towards them. Maybe. Um, if you have your Bible, the passage, is, circle the verses 32 and 33. I would argue it's a, it's a center of the story. It says, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? We forgive in light of God's forgiveness. God never asks us to do something he wouldn't do. Right? God never asks us to do something he himself doesn't do ever. And so Jesus offers a strategy. Maybe if you look at your own life, the things you do, the things that other people know you've done, but also the things you do that nobody knows. And you say, what do I deserve? Maybe then it opens us up to some compassion. Um, by the way, this is how Jesus will teach his disciples to pray, us to pray, like forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us, right? This is how we are taught to pray. Um, there's a famous line in 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage, where it talks about how love keeps no record of wrongs. Otherwise, love keeps no, no score. Love doesn't carry around the love doesn't carry around the clipboard. Love doesn't keep love deals with the pain, but love doesn't carry around the clipboard. Now, um, that still leaves a giant elephant in this room. So maybe not in the story. We dealt with the elephant in the story. Here's the giant elephant in this room. What if you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried? You've tried to restore a toxic relationship. You tried to invite them back in, but they're saying things and doing things that are abusive, they're hurtful, they're toxic. Maybe you've got little kids, and every time they come back in your life, they do things that your little kids are now hearing and picking up on and starting to mimic and imitate, and you're thinking, I... What, like, is Jesus just telling me I need to go back and put myself back inside of a toxic, potentially abusive relationship? That's the elephant here. Um, but notice how the whole story kicks off. Right? The whole story kicks off with, okay, let's talk about reconciliation. They hurt you. Here's what you do. Go to them. Then, if they still don't change, bring somebody with you. And if they still don't change, bring your church. Again, small, small group. Think, maybe in our world, we think small group. Bring your small group of people who are dedicated to each other, who love each other, and you go together with them. And if they still don't change after that, okay, you've tried. You've tried hard. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. This is, when I first understood this, it like changed how I read a lot of these passages. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one. It's your heart. Forgiveness is a command, it's hard to hear sometimes. We have to forgive. Jesus commands us to forgive because forgiveness is about our heart. If we don't forgive, Jesus warns us that our hearts will become like Lamech's heart, swallowed by bitterness. 
The whole world will look like one giant nail and we will look to hit everyone because if we swallow bitterness, if we allow their, their hurt that they did to us to rent space in our hearts and our souls, it will poison everything. Forgiveness is a command and it's about us. But reconciliation takes two. And you can't control their heart. And Jesus knows this. Peter, how important is it for you to deal with your heart? It's worth everything. Chase it with the same passion Lamech chased vengeance. It's worth everything that you protect your heart, that you deal with it, that you let them go free from your heart. But you cannot force that relationship. They may continue to be toxic, continue to be poisonous, refuse to change. You may have to create a boundary. But do everything you can, everything you can to let them go here so that the relationship can be restored. You're not holding it over them. Imagine if we actually did that piece. Again, we can't control this piece. But imagine if we did that piece. If the church was known as the community where you could blow it, you could screw up, you could mess up, you could accidentally post something that you don't even know if you fully believe, but you were mad at the time, so you posted it on social media. You can accidentally, uh, like, you made mistakes. We've all made, imagine if the church was known as a place where you could do that, and we deal with it here. We take sin so serious that we deal with it, and then we welcome you back to the table. Our neighbors would say, well, I think they're kind of weird, and they, some of them raise their hands when they sing, and I don't know what to do with that, but they're the safest community in town. You can actually mess up, and they'll take you back. And in a world that doesn't do that well, I would say that would be revolutionary. It would be weird and revolutionary. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, for those in our midst who have been hurt, uh, Lord, help us, um, help us to receive uh, forgiveness. Lord, help us to deal with the pain. Help us to hear your voice speak into the pain. Uh, Lord, for those of us who have hurt and are having a tough time forgiving ourselves, Lord, would you help us to see that you're the kind of king who throws away the clipboard. Um, Lord, you're the kind of king who doesn't keep score um, but Lord, also help soften our hearts. Help us to have soft hearts towards people, even the people who have hurt us the worst, so that we can set them free. And then, Lord, our prayer is, our ultimate prayer is, Lord, that you would find creative ways to bring reconciliation. Um, but Lord, we, we take forgiveness very serious, and we ask you to help us with reconciliation. We can't change our hearts, so Lord, would you, would you do that work? Uh, Lord, for those in this room who um, there is a name or a face connected to uh, this story, there's a person. Um, Lord, for some in this room, that person shares a last name. For some in this room, Lord, that person even was somebody that stood on a church stage making vows. Um, but Lord, uh, late, the, the spirit of Lamech has grown in our hearts and we're finding ourselves growing bitter and resentful. Jesus, I pray that this morning you would set some people free. Lord, would you heal those relationships? Uh, Jesus, we thank you that your mercy is greater. And as we sing this last song, Lord, would you remind us of that, not just in our brains, not just from our lips, but Lord, in the depths of our spirits, would you remind us of this, we pray. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. And everybody said, would you please stand if you're able. 
As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.